The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Today we're calling about we're going to talk about surviving parenting, and uh, it's just our next uh, our next message today. Uh, as we're thinking about how to survive today, and we have a lot of things that we survive, and we've talked about that over the past three or four weeks, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, but we're going to talk about a recipe for successful parenting this morning. And uh, on the last day of school, children were bringing gifts to their teacher. We have a lot of teachers here, so you'll appreciate this. Uh, the florist's son brought a teacher a, a bouquet. And uh, the candy store owner's son brought the teacher a pretty box of candy. Uh, then the liquor store son brought this big heavy box and... The teacher lifted it up, noticed it was leaking a little. She touched a drop of the liquid with her finger and tasted it and said, Oh, let me guess, this is wine. No, said the boy. She tasted it again and said, It must be champagne. He said, No, it's a puppy. <laughs> uh, so uh, maybe this should be surviving teaching this morning, but definitely parenting. Uh, the contestants of Australia's Survivor Outback series, they had to overcome some challenges like uh, venomous snakes and toxic plants. I read an article in, uh, uh, what's the little, the little, uh, no, uh, <laughs> Reader's Digest, yeah, about the funnel web spider. Have y'all ever read that? That thing scared me to death. I, I don't like spiders. I'm scared of spiders. But Australia has a spider called the funnel web. And uh, if, you, if it bites you, it's, it's going to kill you more than likely. Well, it's just whew, scared me to death, you know. Uh, and it's just in Australia, and I hope they keep it over there. Uh, exo- exotic animals they had to deal with. Uh, you know, hostile environment. But really, the Australian outback pales in comparison to surviving, raising children in the, in the 21st century, I think, because there's so many things uh, that we really deal with, and it, as parents you deal with. So, uh, how to survive parenting. Last week, uh, I was told we had 12 babies in the nursery. 15 in the nursery, excuse me. Praise the Lord, that's right. Maybe it should be how to survive nurserying. I don't know. Uh, I'm glad I'm up here. I'll be honest, you know. Uh, so uh, that's a great, that's a, a, a great praise that, uh, that we've had so many things. But all of us that are parents probably made some startling discoveries at one time. When your first child was born, you may have read books or you may have had all these plans and they send you out the door with this baby, and uh, it has no instruction manual. And you get home, and what do we do? A lot of us did this. We called Mama and said, Mama, she's doing this, and she's doing that. Is that normal? <laughs> and as mothers, what did you probably say? <laughs> yeah, that's normal. You know, and then you hung up and told your husband, you ain't going to believe what they call. You know, she was breathing, and she called and asked, is that normal? You know, so... Uh, we do all those things, and uh, some, some parents may feel like this, this child uh, expert that began 
lecturing before he was a parent on what he called the Ten Commandments for Parenting. And then uh, he married and became a father. He titled, uh, changed the title to Ten Hints for Parenting. Then another child arrived. He changed his, lecture, uh, his uh, uh, lecture to become some suggestions I have for parenting. The next child was born. He just quit lecturing. And as parents, that's the way we are sometimes. You know, the more we go, maybe the worse we get. And the truth is that uh, we never have more opinions about raising children than we do before we have children. Isn't that true? (laughs) Before we have children, we have all these opinions. Boy, my child is never going to do this or never going to do that or my child is going to be this way. And let me warn you, those things come back to haunt you because once you have your children, things change. Mark Twain, he, uh, y'all have all heard of him, no doubt. He, he said this word of advice on raising children, said that when they become teenagers, put them in a barrel, feed them through the knot hole. When they turn 16, plug up the knot hole. You know, that's, if you have a 16-year-old, that may be some good advice also. Uh, two children were heard discussing their parents. The first said, I'm really worried. Dad slaves away at his job so that I have everything I need, so someday I'll be able to go to college. Mom works hard washing and ironing, cleaning up after me, taking care of me when I'm sick, driving me anywhere I want to go. They spend every day of their lives working hard for me, but I'm worried. His friend said, well, what do you have to be worried about? And the first little guy said, I'm afraid they're going to escape one of these days, and uh, James Dobson said, the strong-willed child, he says, child-rearing is like baking a cake. You never realize you have a disaster till it's too late. And that could be true, too. But baking a cake, what do you have? You have a recipe. And if you'll follow that recipe, it should help you in having a successful cake. The Bible has laid out a recipe for raising children. If we follow that recipe, we should have... Uh, successful parenting skills. Now, I'm going to say some things in a minute that that's not guaranteed. If you follow the recipe, it's going to be just perfect, is it? Denise made an upside-down pineapple cake. Upside-down pineapple upside-down cake. And she followed the recipe. Ladies, if y'all ever do this, don't do this. She made it for church. She dumped it out of the pan. What happened? It fell apart. She wouldn't even bring it to church. She just kept it. I'm not taking that thing to church. Why not? It wasn't an exact, it wasn't a complete success, but it was a pineapple upside down mess. And, and I mean, we could have had it and everybody could have ate it. So, so there is a recipe. And here's what I want us to talk about this morning in the time that we have left. The first is this. The first ingredient of our recipe for successful parenting is recognize that your child is a gift from God. That's, that's the first step. Recognize that, that you have a gift that was given to you by God. Now, a woman went to her doctor. She was there. She was being seen by a new doctor in the practice. After about four minutes, she exited the examining room. She burst out screaming. She ran down the hall, and the older doctor that had been practicing stopped her, said, what's the problem? And she told him her story. After listening, he said, go in here and sit down, relax in this other room. The older doctor marched down the hallway back to the first doctor, and he demanded, what's the matter with you, man? 
Miss Terry is 63 years old. She has four grown children, seven grandchildren, and you told her she was pregnant. The doctor never looked up from writing on his clipboard. He said, well, does she still have the hiccups? (laughs) So uh, I guess at that point, maybe you'll think about that during your cream potatoes this morning, and you'll figure out what that means. But she didn't see that as a gift. If we're going to survive the challenges of parenting, we need to remember that our children are a gift from God. Listen to what it says in Psalms 127. Behold... Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, the reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. If you want to survive parenting, the first step in that recipe is when you see your child, remember this child is a gift from God, especially for me. Here's the second thing. The second ingredient for successful parenting is unconditional love. We need, to, we need our children to understand that we love them unconditionally. It's not based on anything they do, but we love them as a gift from God unconditionally. Y'all remember uh, Andy Griffith's show, if any of y'all watched that? And the older I get, the more I realize my illustrations are getting old with me. But Andy Griffith still lives on on Channel 106 every day. You remember when Opie... Uh, got all straight A's, and Andy was so happy, and he went and bought him a new bicycle. And then Miss Crump came and said, oh, I made a terrible mistake, Opie. I gave your grades to someone else and, and someone else your grades, and, and you didn't make straight A's. But Andy had put so much emphasis on uh, he's gifted and talented, he's going to go far, he's far above his IQ level, and, and the whole show was about how proud Andy was of Opie because of the grades that he made. And then when he found out it wasn't true, uh, Andy's whole demeanor changed. All of a sudden, he was angry and uh, he was griping at Opie. Of course, you know that show had, uh, had a reason for showing that. In the end, what happened? Andy realized that, hey, I've put conditions on my love for Opie determining the grades he had, and he had to sit down and have a father and son talk with Opie and say, you know, I made a mistake. We're going to talk more about that, parents, in just a minute. But I made a mistake, and Opie, I love you regardless. And, and when we think about that as a, as a great ingredient for successful parenting, we need to love our children unconditionally, no matter how well they do in sports, no matter how well they do in school, no matter how bad they are at sports, no matter how bad they are in school. We want to encourage them to be their best, to do their best, but that shouldn't measure our love. We need to love our children unconditionally, and they need to know that we love them unconditionally. Here's the third ingredient. I just have five. Isn't that good? We're to number three. But I'm still on the first page, so don't get too excited. Our third ingredient, a recipe for success or parenting, is recognize and work with our child's natural bends. Isn't it funny how a parent, how we can have three children... The same mother, the same father, and all of them are bent differently. Isn't that amazing? How does that happen? I mean, one responds this way, another responds this way to the same situation. As parents, for us to successfully parent our children, we need to recognize that. If we want to survive parenting, 
we need to realize it's our duty, according to Bible, and we're going to read this in Proverbs 22, 6, to train up our children. And when we train up our children, there's probably nothing more challenging, probably nothing more rewarding than the privilege that we have to train up our children and, and God has given them to us. And why did God give us children? That we would raise them, that we would train them up in an understanding of who He is. Proverbs 22, 6, I imagine most of you parents can quote this. Train up a child in the ways that he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Now, training children this way has always been a huge task. It's always been a vital task. Every generation, because this process goes on and on. It's something that a parent trains and they kind of train their children and they kind of train their children. It's, a, it's an ongoing task, but, but sometimes this verse is taken for granted. Sometimes we read this verse and we think, if you're good parents, your children will always be good children. If you're a bad parent, your, parents, your children are going to be bad children. That's, that's not the case. That's not what this verse says, so you may ask, what does it say? You may ask, what does it say? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you, you might paraphrase it something like this. I'm not changing it, but it, it, it kind of says, adapt the training of your child to keep him within God-given characteristics. In other words, we're not all going to be able to train up our child the same way, are we? Our children are bent different. They're made different. And it's our job as parents to train them up, to let them understand the characteristics and the tendency of what God expects from them. Now, I love this, and I, I talked about this at some time in the past. I remember this, but that root word for train up, what that really means, it's a Hebrew word. Some of you will remember this that describes the job of the midwife, the job of the one that so often during this Hebrew time would raise the children. When that child was born, that midwife would take her finger, she would dip it in some dates, and she would rub the, the gums of the child, and she would be training up that child how to eat. And it would give that child a, it would give that child a, a, te- a, a taste and it would, it would create a thirst in that child. And because those dates, in my mind, it would be like putting persimmon in. Now, y'all don't go home and rub persimmon in your kid's mouth. But what happens when you put, have y'all ever eat a green persimmon? Older folks say yes. Younger folks say, I don't know what you're talking about. I have persimmon trees on my place. If you want to ever try one, let me know. Because when you eat it, it gives you a, it draws your mouth up, doesn't it? Well, that's the picture here. As that midwife would train up that child, it would cause a thirst, and it would make that child want to nurse. Well, when we're given instructions, God is telling us to create a thirst within our children for the things of God. Well, how do you do that? That's up to you. You're the parent. I mean, I can't say, here's how you need to train your children, you, you know your children, you love your children, you understand how they're meant, but, but your job as a parent is to create a thirst within them and a thirst for the, the things of God. Parents is, is a thirsting children for the right thing. What is your favorite food? We could probably all name our different favorite fruits, favorite fruits. <laughs> but 
You know, a lot of times our favorite foods are things we grew up with, aren't they? I mean, sometimes you just, you smell something and you think, uh, boy, that reminds me of grandma's or that reminds me of mama's. You, you have some kind of favorite thing that, that you grew up, I like all foods, y'all can tell, you know, so I don't, I don't know that I have a favorite, but, but that, that's the ideal of this training up, that you're creating something as they're growing up as a child and they, they begin to desire that. Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 7 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And with these words I command you today, that they shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. That's some instructions for us as we create a thirst in our children. That's a great recipe for successful parenting. Number four, the fourth ingredient in our recipe for successful parenting is consistent discipline. Now, I'm probably stepping over the line for some of you this morning. You may say, well, you went from preaching to meddling in just one word. Well, not really, because the Bible talks about it. Have y'all ever, I think the key word here is consistent. Have y'all ever done it? No, better than that. Have y'all ever seen someone do this? You better stop that, or I'm going to spank you. Blah, 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 blah. I said stop it, or I'm going to spank you. Blah, 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 blah. If you do that again, you're getting a spanking. Blah, blah, blah. I told you, you're going to get a spanking if you don't quit doing it. After ten times, they're still doing it. Why? Because you're inconsistent. All of a sudden, if you say, you know what, stop that, or you're going to get a little spanking. If you do it the first time, what are they going to go? Hmm. They're pretty serious about this. I might think about stopping that. Just over. I could stand up here. If y'all can't tell, that's one of my pet peeves. Go to a restaurant, and some little banshee kid is just going crazy. And, and the parents just go, no, you better stop that. You know, I'm like, let me. Turn them over to me. I will babysit for five minutes. If you give me the opportunity, be consistent in discipline. Here's what the Bible says. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. What does that say? You know what? I had, a, I had a girl in my youth group when I was a youth minister in Fairview. She came to me one day. I've told you all this story several years ago. She came. We sat down in my office. She's a cute little old girl about... 14, 15 years old, she was crying. She said, my dad, I don't think my dad loves me. I said, well, Amanda, of course he loves you. I don't think he does. I said, why? She said, because I can do anything, and he never gets on to me. That, that, that was from a teenage girl that realized, hey, I have no discipline. Surely if my dad loved me, he wouldn't let me do whatever she put him to the test. She said, I'm going to try this. Do it. I'm going to try this. Go ahead. I don't care. So she comes to me and says, I, I really don't believe that my dad loves me. Listen to what that says again. The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame upon his mother. Again in verse 17, correct your son and he'll give you rest. Yes, he will give you delight within your soul. That's what the Bible has to say. There needs to be discipline in the home. Now, I know about Dr. Goofball, whoever he was, hands are made for loving. That's okay. I have, that's, that's your choice, okay? 
Discipline don't mean clubbing your children, does it? It means there needs to be some discipline within the home. Some type of discipline, and that discipline needs to be consistent. I thought this was pretty interesting. The Houston Police Department, this is not out of uh, the Bible. This is not out of some uh, person that has grown up and studied rearing children. This is simply the Houston Police Department. They put out a document that said 12 rules for raising juvenile delinquent children. They, they, it said they got tired of, of having to deal with things in the city of Houston, and they said, we're going to wage war, and we're going to wage this campaign to deter juvenile crime. So they published this. Ten rules for raising juvenile delinquent children. The first, here's the, I'm going to read all 12 of them. Begin with infancy to give your child everything he wants. Now, this is there, this is there so, so you don't have to get on to me about it. I'm just passing this on. Because I, I, love, I love to give my child everything they want. But I have never been able to do that. With infancy, start with giving him everything he wants. In this way, he'll grow up believing that the world owes him a living. Number two, when he picks up bad words, laugh at him. Because they're cute. And he'll understand that those are cute. Never give him any spiritual training. Wait till he's 21 and then decide he can decide for himself where he wants to go. Avoid using the word wrong. It may develop a guilt complex. This condition, uh, this will condition him to later, when he is arrested for stealing a car, that society is against him and he's being persecuted. Number five, pick up everything he leaves lying around. Do everything for him so that he will experience in throwing all responsibility to others. Number six, let him read any printed material that he can get his hands on. Be careful that the silverware and drinking glasses are sterilized, but let his mind feast on any garbage. Quarrel frequently in the presence of your children. In this way, they won't be shocked when the home is broken up later. Number eight, Give a child all the spending money he wants. Never make him earn his own. Number nine, satisfy his every craving for food, drink, and comfort. See that every sensual desire is gratified. Number ten, take his part against neighbors, teachers, and policemen. Because after all, all are prejudiced against your child. You teachers, I don't know how y'all do it. I'm serious. I'm not being funny. I don't know how y'all do it. I don't know how you can discipline a child and then the parent come and attack the school system for that. Y'all are, y'all are blessed. Y'all are talented. I'd be in jail. I mean, I really would. The, the, parents, take part in, in, against your neighbors, teachers, and policemen. In this, they'll learn that all are prejudiced against them. Number 11, when he gets into real trouble... Apologize for him by saying, I could never do anything with him as he was growing up. And number 12, prepare for grief, a life of grief, because more than likely you'll have it. Now that's from 1977. That was published from the, from the Houston Police Department. But you know what? Doesn't that really, doesn't that really fit? 
There is a, if you don't remember anything leaving today, fathers, listen. Now, last week, I know we talked about fathers a lot with mothers uh, and marriage and all that, but Ephesians 6, 4, every now and then I run across something and, and I, it just amazes me about raising our children. There's two words that are described in this passage of Scripture uh, that we're to use in child rearing. Here's what Ephesians 6, 4 says, and you... Fathers, now mothers, you can be involved in this. Primarily, Paul's talking to fathers here. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The two words here are training and admonition. Now, I want you to—I want to tell you what those words mean. This is what this is what I really learned from this. I can tell you the Greek word, but if I say it, Dean will probably laugh at me, and I probably won't get it right. So it's P-A-I-D-E-I-A. And, and that word is the word we get our education from. It's not the word discipline. It can be used for discipline, uh, discipline or referred to. But it, what it really means, the broadest meaning of is education, training, education. And it's used in the context of when someone is young. Don't miss this this morning. So as Paul says, fathers, bring them up. The word training means teaching them while they're young. So as they're young and they're they're they're, they're they get all these impressions and they get all this understanding and they're they're building this foundation. Paul says during that time of their life, train them up, show them the direction they need to go, tell them about what God is doing and how He's working in their lives and how He's worked in your lives and talk about it from your rising up until you're walking and while you're eating when you go to bed. And then He uses that second word, admonition, and that word is N-O-U-T-H-E-S-I-A. And that's a, a, a combination of two words that means mind and to place. So in their mind and to place. And that word refers to something that's after they're older... And they can reason within themselves. In other words, they have the ability to, to reason, uh, think about a process, think about what's going on. So Paul says this, when you're raising your children, when they're young, when they're, when they're being impressed by what you say, you're training, you're, you're teaching, you're teaching. Then when they get a little bit older and they begin to reason on their own and they begin to think on their own, Paul says what we need to do is we need to be able to sit down friendly and have conversations and direct that child to an understanding. In other words, you've taught them, and now they're getting a little bit older, you can sit down with them and say, well, what do you think this means? And, and how do you think you should have responded? And how did you respond in this situation? And you're not exasperating them to anger. That's what Paul says we do as fathers. That's not they're 12 or 13 years old and you're pounding into them. This is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be. He says, you train them up when they're young. When they little, get a little bit older, sit down and have conversations. Work through those processes. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how Paul says, fathers, this is what we should be doing? I think for us and for me sometimes, you know, that word training and, and uh, that admonition don't ever think about much. You just think, well, it's my job till they get out of school to, to, to take them and drive them in this direction. And Paul says, that's not it. Training them when they're young. Let them reason and think about that ideals. And, and more appropriate as they get older, they'll begin to build that spiritual understandings and the way they should behave in certain situations. They begin to think about that. 
We need to recognize the necessity of discipline. Here's five reminders about discipline. Never discipline in anger. Number two, pick your battles. Not everything's worth a battle, is it? Pick, pick the ones that really matter. Number three, realize that even children are going to get angry from time to time. And it's okay to express that anger. What did we talk about two weeks ago? But in your anger, do not sin. Let's go back to Opie one more time. Y'all remember when Opie had the friend that said, all you got to do is throw a fit? I know Jeremy does. We've talked about it. And uh, Andy's sitting at his desk, and Opie asked to, not to work for his allowance. And, and, uh, and Andy said, no, you're going you're gonna to work for your allowance. And he goes, well, I don't want to. And Andy said, well, don't raise your voice to me. And Opie went, and Andy looked up and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm holding my breath till I turn blue. He said, okay. And he went back to right. And so uh, then he, he says, uh, ah, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm throwing a temperature tantrum. And he says, okay. And then he lays down in the floor and begins wailing about and and he goes, what are you doing now? And he said, I'm throwing a fit, and I can't get over it. And he says, you don't get your clothes dirty down there, and goes back to work. You know what? I think that's some great parenting advice, isn't it? Realize that your child is going to express anger from time to time, but throwing a temper tantrum is not the way. They can be angry, too. That's okay. Number four, choose the best time and place to discipline. Never discipline in anger, but you know what? Don't discipline out in the public. Always discipline in private. That verse that says, don't exasperate your children to wrath. You know, that's embarrassing. That's kind of degrading, isn't it? Always discipline in private. And number five, choose your words carefully and speak in a good voice. Now, you might say, Jake, that's just milk toast stuff. Listen to what the Bible says. Proverbs 51, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, if we're going back and, and we're, we're in that admonition, we're, we're training a child, and you're going to sit down and you're going to have a good, reasonable conversation, you're going to reason things out, don't you, don't you know that the tone of your voice is going to make all the difference in the world? I mean, that, that's the thing. And, and Solomon, the wisest man, said, hey, the soft answer is going to turn away wrath. I think discipline, of course, means conflict. And, and too often, parents, we just don't want to deal with any conflict. We, we don't want to deal with conflict, with yelling and, and all of those things, so we just, we just let it go. But for us to have that recipe for successful parenting, there needs to be some consistent discipline. Here's the last thing, number five. Fifth ingredient for recipe for successful parenting will be admitting you're wrong sometimes. I looked at my wife just to see what she was going to do right there. I do that all the time. Amen. Okay, she's not even listening to me. She's writing a recipe out for something else. The fifth ingredient... Admit when you're wrong. You know what? Every parent, young people listen to me this morning, your parents are going to make mistakes too. Did you know that? We're going to make mistakes too. And parents, it's nothing wrong with admitting just like old Andy Taylor did. Opie, I I messed up. I misjudged you. I, I said some things that weren't true. There's nothing wrong with admitting 
that, that we mess up too, parents. And for us to have successful parenting skills, we need to be able to admit when we're wrong. You know, we all know families where parents are just a, a walking disaster, and, and yet their children turn out to be decent people. And we know, we know parents that are, that are great parents, and their, their children turn out to be uh, bad children. So to, so to put this all together and say, you know what? If I raise my child right, and if I do these things, and I have the recipe, then my child's always going to turn out perfect. Well, that's just not true. Why do I say that this morning? I say that to remind you of this. God has given every one of us the ability to choose. That's the same with your children. You train them up when they're young. You admonish them when they're a little bit older. There's going to come a time in their life that they're going to make decisions. And they're going to make decisions kind of based on their desires. And parents, if you're sitting here today and you'd say, well, I've raised my children, you know, not exactly the way I wanted it to turn out. Listen to what the Bible says. This is a reminder. When we train them up, when we admonish them in the Lord, they're going to remember that. There's some point that that's going to come back. They're going to remember that. They're going to remember how they were brought up. These, these scriptures give us a, a governing direction, not a guarantee. But it gives us a governing thing. You may say this morning, well, you know, my, my children are grown. They're, they're grown. Let me, let me encourage you to do this. Men are a young couple. That's something you could do. Let me, th- let me encourage you to think about this. But what about when you have grandchildren? They say they're great. I don't know. They say they're great. You can spoil them and send them home. So, you know... what. The, the thing is, take these ideals and say, you know what, it's not too late to even put them into practice regardless of where my children are today. The bottom line is this, through God's Word, our children need to know that we love them unconditionally. Folks, we need to pray for our, our children constantly. That's something our children never get too old for us to do is we need to pray for them. Pray for our children. Pray constantly with your ability. Be a parent to your child no matter how old they are. You're still there. You're still their parent. Love them deeply and take nothing for granted. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, as we've just uh, been here in your presence this morning, and Lord, we've thought about your word, and we've, we've seen your recipe and parts of your recipe for being successful parents, Lord. I thank you for those successful parents that are here today. And Father, regardless of where their children are, Father, those that have raised their children in, in training and in admonition of you. And because of that, they've been successful in their parenting, Father. Lord, I pray also today that parents that have young children or couples that will soon have children or uh, grandparents that are those to be grandparents, Father, I pray that we'd know there's a place in the family Uh, the family of God for all of us, that we might train up our children. Father, I pray that we'd always remember the precious gift you've given us in our children. Lord, I pray that we would love them unconditionally, that we would pray for them often. And Father, that they may grow up being the leaders in the community, in the future, in in the city, in the government. Father, that through the training they receive, as children, as teenagers, Lord, it would affect who they are and who they become in their service to you. Lord, this morning, I know I've been all over the place, but I know your spirit, Father, can bring it back together. 
And Father, that through your Spirit, we can have a spirit of understanding. We can have a spirit of direction. And I pray this morning, Father, anything that would be outside of your will would be stricken from our minds and we'd remember it no more. But those things which are true, those things which are right, those things which are ordained by you, we would take to heart, we would put into practice. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.